tonight. The reading tonight is from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 44 to 49. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I'd like to invite up Tom and I'll pray for you before you get started. Father, thank you that um, while you were on earth, you were teaching uh, your ways and that while you were sending out your disciples, you give your spirit to enable them to teach as well. Thank you that you do not leave us uh, just with your story, but with your spirit to preach your good news. I pray for Tom as he um, preaches your word tonight, that you would be um, honouring the work that he's put in, that you would be speaking through him, and that we would listen and hear your words through him, uh, and that you would bless everything he says to us tonight. Amen. Thanks, Miriam. Hey, everyone. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Tom, like I've been introduced, and uh, it's, it's great to be able to speak tonight, and I want to welcome, uh, like Mark did, everybody who is here and also everyone who's watching the res, wherever, res and uh, in the hall. It's, it's good that we can all gather together. I just want to give a quick shout out to the tech team. Can we just give them a round of applause? They've um, done an incredible job. <laughs> They've been able to pull off um, church online to things going on at the hall, to the res, everything. So they've just done such a, a good job. And it's great to be able to gather together. Even though we're not physically together, we're digitally and spiritually together. So um, that's really good. Uh, and like, like Mark was saying, we are currently in a series called Spirit, The Life of God in Us. And we're looking at the person and the work of God, the Holy Spirit. And that's coincided with Mission Month, where we look at and spotlight a few specific organizations that are being missional. And so tonight we're looking at the spirit and mission and how those two things intersect. And there's two questions that I want to look at. What is the gospel? And what is the spirit's role in the mission? And from that, we'll look at um, just implications of those two questions. And then we will, um, then we'll wrap up then. So when I first practiced this on Friday, I was clocking on at around 43 minutes. So hopefully I've cut down a bit now to, I've cut down to maybe 39 minutes or something. Um, no, no, it's going to be at least 30. So um, I'm excited to just speak on this. And um, I don't want to just um, pray now just to segue into the sermon. I want us to actually pray together um, to, to God for him to work in your hearts and my hearts and for the things that I say to actually be pleasing to him and um, edifying to us here as a church community. So if you want to bow your heads and just commit this time to him. Lord, we thank you uh, for your church. We thank you that, um, that your mission has expanded from Jerusalem, which is thousands of kilometers from here. And we're here in Kew, in Melbourne, um, believing in and trusting in uh, Jesus of Nazareth. 
And so uh, we thank you so much for how your mission has expanded. And uh, we pray that um, you will speak to us tonight and that anything I say um, that is helpful would resonate. And if it's not helpful, um, we fall on deaf ears. So uh, we thank you so much for this time that you've given us. Amen. So if you can open up um, your Bibles to uh, Luke 24. Uh, 44 to 49. I want you to uh, look along as I'm, I'm going through it. Just a bit of context as you're turning there. Um, Jesus has just risen from the dead. God's raised him from the dead, and that's what we look at at Easter. And the last chapter of Luke is recounting his final interactions with his disciples. And this here is his final conversation that he has with his disciples before he sends back to uh, the Father. And I think it's really important for us to just define, look at what God's big mission is. It's not, the, it's not our mission, it's not the church's mission, it's God's mission, and we're partnering with Him. So verses 46 and 47, I think, answers that question pretty dead on um, for us. And it says, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And so Jesus is saying, thus it is written, this is going to happen. God said this in the Old Testament. It was prophesied to the Old Testament writers. This is going to happen. It's not a maybe, it's not a possibly, it's going to happen. This is God's mission. And we are invited to participate in God's mission to um, have this gospel message proclaimed to all nations, to all people. So it's gone from Jerusalem, it's ended up here in Melbourne. This mission is happening and it's real and God is achieving this mission. But a key part for us to understand our role in this mission, how we can participate, how we can recommend, how we can promote that gospel, um, it's important for us to know what that gospel message is. And I think that's why Jesus spends a bit of time in the verses preceding that, just unpacking what the Christ is and what the Christ came to do. So the first question is, what is the gospel? And I think this will help us to get excited, get zealous, get keen to be a part of uh, God's mission. And so if you look at that um, with me from verses 44, we're going to look at that question, what is the gospel? He says this, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Okay, so what's going on here? So he is saying He's claiming to be this person that the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms all pointed forward to. And what were they pointing forward to? They were pointing forward to this promised Christ. Now, the Jews 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, live in the same world that we live in. They understand the world is broken. They understand that there's evil, injustice, pain. And the Bible calls all of those things sin and the expressions of sin. And we... Um, we live in that same world. We recognize that. And the important thing is, God recognizes that even more acutely than us. And so he has been on a big rescue mission from the day dot to actually restore the world back to the way that it was meant to be. Um, meant to be. And, and the key part of that is restoring his rule and his reign over, um, over the world. And so that was going to happen through the Christ. That's what, it, that's what he's claiming to be, this Christ and this is this promised king who is anointed by God to rule and reign on God's behalf and usher in this kingdom where we, where we are living the way we're designed to live and the way that God wants us to live and pain and sin and, and, and is removed and evil's confronted. 
evil's hold on our life is confronted and we're living the way that God has wired us and designed us to live. And so he's just been raised from the dead. So God has just given him the stamp of approval going, yep, that guy's my Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, he's the God man. He's the Christ. And so he's saying, I'm claiming to be that guy. I'm that Christ. And the resurrection has just proved that. But interestingly, if you look at verse 45, he says, Luke says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Why does he need to do that? Surely the Jews who have been excited and anticipating this moment would be like, bang, this is amazing. I want to get a part of that. But he has to open their minds. Why does he have to do that? It's interesting. And this is where Jesus corrects their understanding. And I also want to look at how he corrects our understanding as well. So let's start with how he corrects their understanding of the Christ. They had a misunderstanding of what the Christ would do. They had a a view of the Christ that was too small. It was too narrow. It was anemic. It it didn't have everything that it was uh, meant to be. They expected a warrior Christ who's going to come, who's going to defeat the Romans. He was going to restore the Jewish land back to them, have their own autonomy. They'll be their own people. And, And look, like, it's quaint. It's, it's cute. But it's, it's, not, it's not nearly as big as what God had planned. He has a much bigger enemy in sight, and he also has a much, big mission, much bigger mission in sight as well. And so what Jesus is saying, and what he has to open their minds to understand, is that he's not a warrior Christ. He's a suffering, crucified Christ. And so in the epitome of his kingdom's values, he decides to die for his enemies, to allow his enemies to participate and enter his kingdom and, 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 and follow him to be a part of his reign. And so he, in dying and rising, has defeated sin and death, and he's also defeated the enemy so that all people and all nations can become and enter his kingdom. So he's, he's correcting their understanding. That's what he's, that's what he's looking at in, um, in verses um, 48. But then he also corrects our understanding of the gospel as well. And I think we can also have a a narrow or a small or an anemic view of the gospel as well. And I think we have a different problem. I think our problem, and and, and this undercuts and and, and it, it, it gets us in the kneecaps of our missional zealousness because we don't fully understand the gospel. And we don't see actually how great it is and how good it is. And because we don't, we're not that keen to be a part of the mission. And so it's clear and it's keen and it's good for us to know what this Christ is, um, what this Christ is. So they had a misunderstanding of what the Christ would do. Uh, we often have a misunderstanding of what the Christ is. And so let's have a look at that. What is this Christ? Um, I think for us, we can, we can isolate, we can reduce the gospel down to just, just the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we can isolate it and boil it down and just go, that is, that is all the gospel is. It's just that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the dead. And I'm aware that this could, this is, I need to be clear in what I'm saying. So um, I'm saying that the death and resurrection of Christ is the centerpiece. It is the, the magnum opus. It is the premier act of Jesus' ministry on earth. And in fact, it is the thing that purchases, like I said before, the ability to invite his enemies into his kingdom. But if we just take it out, if we t- just say the gospel is just Jesus died on the cross for our sin and he rose from the dead, we actually take it out of the context of the gospel. And in the same way that you've had a joke and you're going through the joke and then you have the punchline, and if you just took the punchline out and just said the punchline, it's not funny, it's not a joke anymore, it's just a, a statement. 
And so in the same way, if we take the death and resurrection of Christ out of the context of the gospel, of Jesus' life, of his teaching, of his healings, of his miracles, it loses its context. It, it loses what it's meant to achieve. And so what, what is going on here is the Christ came to usher in this kingdom of God. To, it, God recognizes the mess in our own lives. He recognizes the mess in the world around us. And the kingdom of God is God's solution to that. And all the political ideologies that are raging around us right now are all clutching at straws to try and solve the problem. All the self-help books and all the motivational speakers and and all the things we can self-medicate on are all trying to fix the mess inside of us. And again, they're clutching at straws. They're not getting it. It's not the solution. We need God's solution. And God's solution is the Christ and his kingdom. And that's important for us to understand. And so Jesus' birth... Jesus' teaching, Jesus' healing, Jesus' miracles, and his death and resurrection all are not a, they're not all a, a cosmic flex or a, a show-off from God, oh, look what I can do. That, it's not what it is. In, in those things, in those things, he's actually revealing what, and, and giving us a moment to glimpse into his kingdom and see what his kingdom's like and how the Christ rules. And what do we see when we look into those things? We see a Christ who rules with justice and with mercy and with love. We see a Christ who is gentle and lowly in heart. He's compassionate on the weak and on the small. He, is, he has a heart for the, for the insignificant. He, he, he goes and heals the, the broken and the sick and the blind and the lame. That's a kingdom that is exciting, and I want to be a part of that. That's compelling. It's attractive. And so th- th- that's why Jesus is... Death and resurrection is so important and is at the centerpiece of that because we have contributed to the mess that, that God is having to respond to in the first place. And so if he didn't die and rise for us, we wouldn't be able to enter that compelling and attractive kingdom that we are, we are looking into as we look at his life. And so that's important for us to recognize that, that, that the Christ came to not only um, reveal his kingdom and establish his kingdom and glimpse his kingdom, um, he came to, to show it as well. And so... This is why we see when Paul's preaching in one, in, um, he talks about it in 1 Corinthians, that he says, when I, was a, when I was among you, I knew only Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's able to hold these two things in tension, that he, that he, he was preaching about Jesus, the life of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the, 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 the birth of Jesus, and also the death and resurrection of Jesus and how all those things fit together. So, so what, is, what is the gospel? Let's, let's bring all these ideas together. The gospel, and it should be on the screen, the gospel is the breaking news. It's the announcement that God has revealed, he's opened up, he's established his kingdom through the birth, through the life, through the teaching, through the miracles, through the death and resurrection of Christ. And he's coming again to remove evil and also establish his kingdom fully forever. That's actually very exciting. <laughs> that is actually very good news. And, and uh, that's something that I get excited about. And I think when you look at that, and if we actually dug into that, that is actually incredibly good news and, and something that is exciting. And all of us here who, who are following Jesus have said, yep, I'm attracted to that. I, I like that Christ. I like his kingdom. I want to be a part of that. And so we've become disciples and we've started following Jesus. 
And so that is, that's the good news, that, that God is on a mission to proclaim to the, the whole world, to all people, to all nations. And you can see why, if we have a true nitty-gritty understanding of what the gospel is, we can go, yeah, I want to be a part of God's mission to have that um, proclaimed to the whole world. So that's the first question. What is, what is the gospel and how does that slot into God's mission? The second question is, what is the Spirit's role in mission? In verse 49, Jesus says this. So if you look at verse 49 with me. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So what's so important about this promise of the Father that Jesus is saying, wait, just hold your horses, don't say anything yet. What, what's so important about this promise of the Father? And this promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit and, and Him being poured out. So this is an important question that we need to ask. What is the Spirit's role? And this text doesn't actually answer that question. And we see the answer throughout Acts and throughout the epistles, the letters to the churches, where Paul is recounting how the gospel uh, was announced to them and to those church communities. And so uh, it's, we actually need to do a quick survey. And I don't want to just assert some stuff and go, yeah, trust me. <laughs> I, I want to go through some verses so you can see it for yourself. And I was going to read them out. And, and I think there's two clear implications that come out of this. So I was going to read through uh, these verses, starting with John chapter 3, verse 5. And this is him, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit. Interesting. Acts 2, 37 to 39, and this is Peter at Pentecost. He's preached a killer sermon. The Spirit has, been, um, has descended for the first time on all people, and Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. That's the same model. Repent, believe, follow Jesus, and you will receive, um, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Okay, Acts 10, 44. And this is at a guy called Cornelius. He's not a Jewish person, but he is, he's interested and he's longing for the things of God. He says this, um, even as Peter was saying these things, these things being the gospel, what we just talked about, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. There's the, the misconception that the, the first century disciples had being, um, being, breaking down, being broken down. Sorry. Acts eleven fifteen, and this is rec- Peter recounting the previous event. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it fell on us in the beginning. Acts 16, 14, going two more after this. This is Jesus working through his spirit, and this is Paul in Macedonia, and he's preaching to some women. And one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, to Paul preaching the gospel, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, and this is Paul recounting how the Thessalonians became Christians. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And finally, 1 Peter 1.12, and this is him reflecting on how the Old Testament writers wanted to know what this Christ would be and how God's going to fulfill his promise of this Christ bringing the kingdom. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you, 
And now this good news, the one we're talking about, has been announced to you by those who preached it, people, in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So I think there's two clear and overwhelming answers to this question about how the Spirit is involved in in the mission. And it's an indispensable role. It's an essential role. It's a necessary role. It's not a tack-on thing. One, the Spirit is the source of spiritual new life that gives us the eyes to see and hear the gospel and go, yeah, I want to be a part of that. I want to follow this Christ. It's a mystery because some verses talk about how the Spirit fell as they heard it, and some verses speak about how the Spirit was working in them and caused the ability for them to believe in the first place. It's a mystery. And look, there's a lot of things about God that are mystery. So, but that is one thing that comes out of those verses. And the second thing is, that's true, and yet God uses the ordinary evangelism, the ordinary words, the ordinary deeds of people, of Christians, to achieve the extraordinary goal which is that spiritual new birth, to be able to believe and hear and act upon the gospel, to, to enter the kingdom of God, to follow the Christ. And I love this quote uh, by Graham Bennion. This is sort of tying together those two ideas. Both of these connections are to say that the Spirit uses ordinary means, the Word of God, the gospel, the message that, that we talked about, this announcement, and the people of God, the church. So there is a supernatural ordinariness to ministry, We spend time with people. We organize church life. We speak the word. We extend hospitality. And as we do, the spirit works. And so in in light of those two implications, in light of that quote, in light of those verses, the, the, the practical application for us is that it means we can have confidence and should trust that the Holy Spirit is going to use our ordinary work for his purposes. We know he is. We know he is. And that gives us confidence that, We know when we're not seeing fruit, God is seeing the big picture. And that gives us confidence to rely and it causes us to trust the Spirit when it comes to anything that we're trying to do that is missional. So we should be trusting the Spirit. So what are the the implications from these two questions? In light of a a clearer picture of what the gospel is, that God's mission is all about. In light of the Spirit's role in that mission, what are the practical implications for us? I think there's three. One is that we should be marked by persistent prayer. And this is something that um, I've been really convicted of of late because I have been thinking about what does my prayer life or sometimes lack of prayer life reflect about what I value. I actually may want people around me in my life to actually come and enter this kingdom and follow this Christ and experience the life, joy and peace that, that follows from Um, being a part of that kingdom. I may want that, but if I pray once about it, I don't know whether that actually reflects, um, I don't know whether that's saying that I really do want them (laughs) there. I think think a little bit. But if I was coming to before the Lord and persistently pleading, God, I want this, I'm going to write a reminder on my phone. I'm going to write it on my prayer list. I'm going to do things that get me into your presence to just pray that you open that person's heart. I think that is something that we should be marked by as Christians because... If the Spirit is the prime mover in opening people's hearts, we need Him to do it. <laughs> like, we need Him to be opening their eyes. We need Him to be causing them to have new spiritual eyes to hear and see the gospel. 
And so we need to be begging him and pleading with him and let our values align with the Spirit's values by persistently coming before him going, I want you to work in this person. I want that. And I, I think when it comes to seeing the people around us as um, needing the gospel, I think some, there are some people where you go, oh my goodness, they need Jesus. Like, and, and it's clear from their behavior oh, like, that they, they need the gospel clearly. But I think for most of the people around us, I actually think we sometimes fall into the temptation of falling, feeling a bit like, oh, they really need the gospel. They seem like they're doing pretty, old, pretty good. We don't really see them as lost. And I think that's because of a few things. I think that's because we sometimes see them through the lens of social media, and social media can can be a a massive facade for what's going on actually underneath. Um, I think we're all affluent. We live in middle-class Australia. We're all relatively well-off. Most of our friends probably fit in that category. And because of that, they look like they're doing pretty well. And I think also we live in the overhang of a Christian society. So most people act and behave in a relatively morally good way. And so most of the time, we actually fall into the trap, I think, of actually not seeing the people around us as actually lost and actually needing to hear the gospel. And if we actually look under the hood, if we actually look under the hood in the same way that um, people could think that about us, under the hood, everyone actually has a mess and everyone actually has struggles. Like we see this through loneliness. We see this through people's insecurities, um, deteriorating mental health, addiction, family breakdown, grief, loss, sexual harassment, lack of purpose and apathy for life. And, you, and, and as soon as you see people in those lens, if you pull down the facade of affluence and Christian morality and, and social media facades and see people for, for actually how they are, we actually go, these people around us, just the same as I needed it, they need the gospel. <laughs> they need this Christ. They need to be a part of his kingdom. And so I think for us, we need to sometimes, we need, we need to fight back against this, this lens that we can sort of put over our eyes and, and to, that prevents us from seeing people as actually lost. And so I think we need to be praying and, and, and bring those things before the Lord and, and ask him to pull down those lens for us to be persistent in praying for, um, for them. And I think, uh, Paul says this in Ephesians 6, and this is in regards to if we see people as lost, then we should be praying also for people to be speaking to them and, and ushering them and inviting them into the kingdom. And he says this about himself in Ephesians 6, 19 to 20. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now and still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I'll keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. And you'd think that Paul wouldn't need much prayer. He's an absolute beast. And he, um, you wouldn't think he would need much prayer, but he asked for prayer. And I guess it's challenging for me is if, the, if he's needing prayer, how much more do the people in the field today need prayer? How much more does the ministry team at Q Baptist need prayer? How much more does Red Frogs, when they're out in the mission field and, and loving people, and, and, and begging the Lord for opportunities to be able to share God's love and this announcement, how much, how much more do they need prayer? What about the, the, the prison network and, and the um, global interaction and the, the winter shelter? How much more do they need prayer? How much more do the evangelists in our community 
The, the, the people around us in Melbourne need prayer. And so I, I just was convicted of that myself. Like, I should be not only praying for myself, but I should be praying for the people around us who, who need prayer, who are actually out there being a part in a really tangible way of, of God's mission. So that's the first thing, persistent prayer. The second thing is we should live as kingdom citizens. Now, I think this seems pretty obvious, but if we heard this gospel and we see the Christ, and we see his kingdom, and go, that's compelling and attractive. I want to be part of that. I've repented, I've believed, the Spirit's worked in me, and I want to follow Christ and become his disciple, to live under his reign, live in that kingdom. Then we should start living it. <laughs> we should start letting our lives reflect the fact that we actually believe this good news, and that we want to be a part of his kingdom. And so I think, I think that if we live authentically and start living as citizens of his kingdom, because that's what we are in one sense, we're citizens of this new kingdom, um, people will start seeing you and going, what is it about you that is compelling and attractive? Why? What's it about your values and your ethics and your way of life and, and your love that is different and radical from the way that everyone else acts and behaves? And one, one, one practical thing that I've been working on is, is growing in consistency across um, growing consistency in the way that I speak to my Christian friends uh, and also to the way that I speak to my non-Christian friends. And someone spoke about this in, in terms of incidental God speak. And what he's saying is just let the way that you speak to your Christian friends be the same that you speak to your non-Christian friends. If you're praying for somebody, just tell them that. Like, they're not going to be weirded out by that. If you went to church on the weekend, just say that to both people. Um, if you are following Jesus... And, and, and the way that people act in his kingdom in, in that specific area is a little bit different, embrace that. Follow him in that. If you are um, thinking about something related to God, why not share that to your, your Christian friends and to your non-Christian friends? Just bring consistency across the board and bring authenticity across the board in the way that we live as kingdom citizens in a, in a missional way. And I think one way we can tangibly live as authentic kingdom citizens is by also putting our money where our mouth is. If we really do think that this is good news and we look at that gospel message and go, wow, that's exciting, that's huge, we should put our money where our mouth is because often our wallets reflect what our hearts are. And that's why they've got an amazing opportunity with this, um, this, this fundraiser appeal that we're currently doing um, to raise $10,000 for these three specific organizations to, to help them in their mission, help them in their vision, help them in their, their, their missional organization. Well, we, we, this is one really tangible way that we can live as authentic kingdom citizens. And finally, promote the gospel through our speech. Now, for some, uh, God may have given you the actual gift of evangelism. We read that in, in Ephesians 4, that he, he gives co- church communities with evangelists. And some of you may be gifted in that way. And I want to challenge you and get around you and just say, if it just comes naturally, if talking about the gospel just comes naturally, exercise it. Grow in that gift. Get passionate about it. Put yourselves in situations where you can talk about the gospel if, if you've got non-Christian friends around you, put yourself in, opportunity, in a space where you can talk to them one-on-one about this kingdom, about this Christ. If, you, if you're a public speaker, get into spaces where you can speak publicly about those things. If you're, if you're in a church community, get involved in running alpha groups. Get involved in missional organizations like Frogs, where you can actually have opportunities to announce this good news, announce this Christ and his kingdom. 
And for, the, and for many of other, well, all the rest of us, God has gifted us, but in different ways. But the call on all Christians is to know why we find that kingdom and that Christ compelling and attractive. Like one Peter, Peter talks about this, um, and he says, um, have a reason for the hope that you, ha- that you have. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. That's from Colossians. And so in the same way, we should know and um, believe why we heard this, new, this announcement and why we believed it. And we should take opportunities as kingdom citizens to speak about it when God gives us those opportunities. When God gives us those opportunities. I think in, with, this, with this third point, I think we need to learn to just see how, how we can use all of our speech to move people one step closer to believing this gospel, to hearing about this Christ and his kingdom and his invitation to all people. How can we use our speech to move people one step closer? That might be breaking down a misconception. (laughs) That might be just loving them differently to the way that they've been loved before. That actually may be talking about the gospel and being a part of that announcement. It may be on the other side of their conversion and their decision to commit their lives to Jesus might be encouraging them and building them up in the faith and equipping them to understand what they believe even more. So if we can use our speech to promote the gospel, to move people one step closer to believing this gospel in a deeper way, I think that is such a good thing for us as people who want to be missional, authentic kingdom citizens. And as I wrap up, um, I just want to be honest (laughs) with how... um, how much I found this sermon prep actually quite hard. Um, I was really fighting like apathy, especially um, two weeks ago, lack of motivation. Um, and I was finding it just really difficult. And especially in the, the days leading up to speaking, I was finding that I just got like, this spiritual punch in the guts and I just lost confidence in what I was saying. I was just like, oh, wow, why? I, I, am I sure this is right? Am I being a heretic? And I was just losing my confidence and my mojo and my motivation and my belief in what I was saying. And, and I realized just a few days ago what it was. And I think for most of us who live in white, educated, middle-class families, we're not going to like this. And it, it, it sort of grates against what I've been brought up um, and, and been taught. But I realized that it was spiritual warfare. And I realized that it actually was um, a, a, an attack occurring in, in subtle and small ways, but they actually have really big impacts. <laughs> and I realized why. It's because it, the devil is genuinely scared of people who believe this. If all of us here right now, and everyone watching online, everyone in the res and all the 10 a.m. congregation, genuinely believed that the gospel is actually good news, and they were convicted of it, and they were sold out, to live kingdom lives and they were pleading with God because the spirit is essential and necessary, indispensable in, the, in God's mission and they were pleading and they was manifesting in their prayer life and in the way that they lived and in their speech. The devil is scared stiff of that. Imagine if we had the 150, 200 people here at Q Baptist actually geared up doing that. He's scared. And so no wonder he, he didn't want people to be encouraged in the gospel and didn't want people to be stirred up with excitement and zeal to get around God's mission. No wonder he didn't want that happening. And so my, that's an encouragement to you guys because if we actually did this, I'm just, I'm excited for what God could actually use us for here as a church community. I'm excited for it. And right now I want to pray into that 
and I want the, you guys to pray with me as we um, move into the rest of our service together. Lord, Lord, we thank you for this genuinely great news, this announcement that you have opened up, you have established, you have revealed your kingdom and your Christ through the birth, through the teaching, through the miracles, through the healings, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. You've opened it up, you've established it, you've revealed it, and you're actually coming again to remove evil and its hold on our lives. And you've come to, and you're going to come as well to establish your kingdom fully and completely forever. That's actually great news. And Lord, we thank you that this is your mission. And if we trust and we're reliant on you, Holy Spirit, to move in those hearts, that would manifest itself in us being prayerful. That would manifest it itself in us being authentic in the way that we live as kingdom citizens. And it would manifest itself in the way that we speak, in the way that we promote the gospel, in the way that we want at every moment to just push people around us one step closer to believing this gospel, to, to embracing this Christ and his kingdom and accepting his invitation. Lord, we want these things. Please align our hearts with your heart. Help us to see the people around us as actually needing this gospel. We want these things, we love you, and I just pray that um, this would, would stay with us and that we'd be excited about this. And it won't just be a, an emotional feeling, but it would actually be something that is persistent and, and lays with us over the course of the next weeks, months, years, the rest of our lives, until you return again. Amen.